Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. This season we're talking about uh, evangelism uh, related to missions. The question often asked, but what happens if uh, somebody doesn't tell another person about Jesus? It's probably one of the most difficult conversations that we have uh, as Christians. And today on The Scent Life, we want to discuss the question, what's the fate of those who've never heard? Uh, Welcome to The Scent Life. Hey, Keelan. Hey, Scott. How are you? I am well. Yourself? Good. How's the semester? Semester is moving along, man. Moving along. Family and kids doing fine? Yeah, so far. (laughs) Things seem to be going well. All right. Nobody's got the flu. Nobody's sick. Not, not that I know of. That's good with little kids. That's like a home run, right? Yeah, it's it's actually a nice reprieve because we spent most of well, we've spent most of the winter sick. Somebody's always got the sniffles, right? Right. Hey, so today, Keelan, as we um, as we talk about evangelism, we've hit, we've talked about it from kind of a high level, mm-hmm. right? We've dealt with uh, the theology of evangelism, theology of conversion. We've dealt with you know multiplication and evangelism and all that. We thought we we probably need to ask. A more difficult question. Yeah, I think that's right. So there's a spot where this conversation has to start hitting hitting the ground in that's some right. real ways. Uh, to frame the conversation, when I was a missionary overseas, I was working uh, in an unreached people group mm-hmm. uh, in West Africa. They were they were Muslim in background, really a folk Islam. And I was out in the bush, man. I was way out in some of these small villages. And as I would share the gospel with people, and by God's grace, I'd see some people come to faith in Christ. And very quickly in our discipleship process with some of those people, we would inevitably run into this question. Mm -hmm. So what you're telling me is my dad, my mom, and everybody before them in our family is where? where? Where are they? If the gospel saves me from my sin, puts me on this completely different trajectory, and there's a real heaven and a real hell, they never even had the chance to hear this message. Right. Does does that mean they're in hell? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a painful question, right? And it's one that uh, I think philosophers answer. Mm-hmm. I think ivory tower theologians answer. But when it rubs the shoulders in the mission field, yeah, or more increasingly, even in the United States of America, That's right. where we have people who have immigrated in or been raised in generations of people who've had no affiliation whatsoever uh, with Christianity, yeah. the question is then asked, yeah, but what happens? I mean, if a person has never heard, are they accountable? How do we arrive right. at that, uh, an answer to that question that is both biblical and reasonable? Yeah, and so what we want to do for you all today is kind of walk through a way to think through that issue well, because it's very easy for this to seem like a really unfair thing. Right. But in reality, I think Scripture has some things to say to us on this issue that give us some clarity, Uh, and then hopefully as we end, we can talk a bit about how to pastorally, perhaps, deal with that issue as we're we're, uh, having conversations with people. Right, yeah. You know, over the years, this is actually a question that— that I used to try to avoid. I didn't right. want to talk about it at right. all, right? Having worked as, as you did in among unreached peoples yep. and sent missionaries to unreached people groups, it's a question. She's like, man, I just don't want to talk about this. But over the years, I've grown more and more 
almost passionate about this conversation. Um, part of it is I see a passive um, creeping in of universalism or uh, almost a blind uh, acceptance of, well, I mean, God's a nice God, right? right? He's loving, he's caring, he's gracious. So everybody probably is going to get to heaven. I mean, at some point, everybody is just going to be right with God because he loves everybody. He's such a nice guy. So, and then that creeps in when it happens, right? We don't go to the mission field, but we also don't tell our neighbors about Jesus. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because we assume, I mean, Christianity's fine for me, but other people are going to sneak in anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And it's, uh, I've heard it referred to as functional universalism, right? right. Uh, there's this sense that a lot of times, even if we don't confess that, you know, we believe in universalism, that everybody really is going to wind up there one day, we right. often act like we believe it in the way that we practice our lives. That's right. Uh, if there's no... If, if the reality sinks in about the consequences of not evangelizing, right. for those of us who have the gospel and have been right. changed by the gospel, then that should rightly create some form of urgency right. for us to share this message with others. And so when it doesn't, you've got to ask the question, like, do you, do you understand the weight of the situation that's in front of us? And right. you've got one of two things at play. It's either an actual belief in universalism or it's a functional universalism. Right. And so hopefully we can kind of tease some of that out this way. That's right. Yeah. And to be clear, if we're going to put our statement or our position on the table at the beginning of the podcast, what are we going to say? And this, I think, is a summary, right? We summarize it by saying uh, that millions of people haven't heard about Jesus. And to be clear, unless a person hears and personally responds to the gospel, they have no hope of salvation. People are not protected from the wages of sin because they've never heard. And for those of you who are listening, that is, of course, actually the historic stance of right. the church throughout the generations. That's not some harsh deviation from what the church has always taught. That's, right. that's orthodoxy. Right. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's not like you're, you're forgiven for your sins if you've never heard, or you're forgiven for your sins if you hear about Jesus and believe in him. It's that there's one way of salvation in the Bible, and that is that a person hears and that a person believes and responds positively to the gospel. That's a difficult pill to swallow, yeah. especially for those who are silent about their faith. That's right. So from that kind of uh, thesis statement, from that spot, from that kind of central confession as a, as a way to, to anchor this thing down to the ground, how would you walk somebody through uh, articulating why that's reasonable and how the Bible kind of leads us there. Yeah. So I think there are a couple statements that we need to, to understand. First, the Bible is clear that people are condemned mm -hmm. and are separated from God because of our personal sin and because of our idolatry. The, the notion that a person is right with God because of their ignorance builds on the foundation that the Bible doesn't give us. And that's the foundation that we're somehow innocent until we're convinced that we're guilty. Right. As opposed to the Bible saying, no, no, you're guilty because you have sinned and because you're an idolater. You worship the wrong God, you worship in the wrong way, and you've chosen to sin. So we don't start on positive ground and need to be proven negatively. 
in our relationship with God, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means that every person who's born, who lives in this world is a sinner, and the wages of that sin is death. There's a death and a separation from God, so we're already under God's wrath by virtue of the fact that we're in this world as sinners. Yeah, and I think it's to kind of sharpen the point about what Scott's there. Scott's saying there, let me try to underscore a bit of what he's he's doing. So your guilt from sin comes from sin, right? not you knowing that it's sin. Right. And that's an important distinction for us to have. We are all sinners, mm-hmm. and we commit sin, right. and we have a sin nature. It's not knowing that we have those things that somehow magically now makes us culpable for it. That's right. That's not how that works. It's the actual doing of it. It's the actual nature. It's the actual curse right. that has you in that state. You start there. That's right. And you start there not uh, not blindly. Right. Right. I mean, C.S. Lewis makes the point that there's nobody on the planet whose conscience um, or whose, whose intuition, whatever word you want to use, doesn't say don't do this and you do it anyway or do this and you don't do it anyway. So you're not innocently just stumbling around thinking it's okay to lie, it's okay to steal, it's okay to cheat. You know that it's wrong and you do it. So every person on the planet, every person who's ever lived is breaking the moral law of the universe, breaking the spiritual law in their relationship with God, and they know that they're not right with him. Yeah, that's exactly right. We, uh, I think it's easy for us to get into conversations about degrees of wrongness, and uh, that's not the standard that Scripture sets right. for us when it comes to understanding sin. It's not some weights and balance. Uh, I feel like I uh, ultimately am a pretty good person, or I'm more of a good person than a bad person, and so I've got some things that I, I know I do wrong, but they're respectable things to do wrong. They're not irrespectable things, and so we start doing some form of mental calculus on our morality, I think, mm-hmm. to, to try to walk our way out of that. But that's not the standard that is set by, by the Scriptures. No, and people know that. That's the reason that world religions exist. Yes. That's the reason that cults exist. It's the reason that people throughout the centuries and ages have created ways to appease their conscience and to, to appease their notion of a divine being that they know they have offended, that we know that we have uh, that we have uh, done something in violation of. So we know it, and our evidence says we've done something to fix it. That's the whole story of Romans chapter one, right? Mm-hmm. When you read the Bible in Romans one, it's they they knew God, they knew there was a sense of violation. So what, what was the response to a knowledge of sin? It was they worshiped the creation and not the creator. So we've created a way to worship, to appease the sin. But the Bible gives the way that that happens. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I think you're, man, uh, it's the way you word that I think is really important here, Scott, because uh, notice a way that we can understand that people do know, in fact, that they're not right with God is the creation of all all manner of means right. to try to accomplish being right with God. If you've ever thought through that from a, maybe a philosophical standpoint, we have all of these man-made religions out there. Where in the world did they come from? Well, from a scriptural understanding, they're, they're coming from the space of trying to make themselves in some sense right with God, and we've conceived of all manner of attempting to do that, and, and Paul is clear in Romans, right, that we've attempted to solve that problem, but in, in doing so, we've really set our eyes too low. That's right. Yeah. And so w- when we think about the, the question, what happens to a person who's never heard? And the reason that we 
and and again, I want. I think it's important that our hearers go back to the beginning of the conversation you and I had. This is not an answer that you and I landed on flippantly without personal experience. It's an answer that you land on with with great trepidation, knowing this is about real people. Mm-hmm. But the consequences are also real. If I just assume somehow that by the love of God, the mercy of God, the broadness and the wideness of the gate that could lead to heaven, then it leads me to do things that are not helpful. But but it's better to embrace what the Bible teaches and then shape my life around the Bible, not around my hopeful intuition shaped in some world of pluralism or, or, or hopefulness, but rather, what does the Bible teach? Because if you follow not just that teaching, theological teaching of the Bible, look at the trajectory of Scripture. Right. If you read the New Testament, you read the Old Testament as well, then the trajectory of that is that people who know Jesus are telling other people who don't know him about him. Yeah, so that's exactly right. Uh, if there was some sense where us sharing the news with people is where culpability on their part entered the equation, why in the world would the Bible be so crystal clear about the responsibility of those who are Christians to share that news with others? The most loving thing Christ could have done after he'd come to earth if people being in ignorance kept them from going to hell was to tell his disciples to keep their mouth shut. That's right. Yeah. And that's if, not what we see in Scripture. That's right. If ignorance were the ticket to being right with God, the cruelest thing that anybody could do is to tell somebody about Jesus. That's right. Because telling them makes them culpable. But the entire trajectory of the New Testament, by Jesus, who said the greatest love that we have is to lay down our life for our brothers, and Jesus' whole teaching was to love one another as you would have them love you, is about now go tell them because yeah, you right. love them. Yeah, yeah. We, we see the, the teaching of the apostles. Uh, you know, Paul is compelled because of the love and the kindness of God, right? The love of God compels us to say, be reconciled to God. So it's knowing that this is the loving step that shows us you can't, you, it, it may be possible right, for somebody uh, who does not affirm Scripture to make a statement that, uh, that anybody who is nice enough or kind enough could be right with God. But I don't believe that it's possible for anybody who takes the Scripture seriously to affirm any form of universalism or pluralism without denying significant portions of Scripture, and not just the theological treaties, well, I don't believe that all have sinned or whatever, but the entire trajectory of the Bible itself, which is that people who know Jesus, who love him, who are saved, are compelled then to go find people who don't and tell them so they too can be saved. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you see it over and over and over again throughout the New Testament, both coming out of Jesus' mouth. I mean, you've got the Great Commission itself. Uh, The language that we see in Luke and Acts is that of witness, like you will be my witnesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Witness clearly is an idea of something that's testimonial in nature. You get into the book of Acts and the, uh, the disciples are saying things like, we can't keep our mouth shut even if we want to. Right. At this point, like I don't know who you are telling me to keep my mouth shut, but but I'm compelled by Christ to go do this. Uh, you get all of the language coming out of Paul's mouth about how this is his chief ambition in right. life to make the gospel known to others. Now, if that is the the bend of Scripture, then it just stands to reason that we should be telling people. And so you cut against the whole grain 
of Scripture to suggest that it would be better if we let some people just not ever hear this. That's right, yeah. And so uh, so this is why then we have to make the claim, right, that those who don't hear are accountable. Those who don't personally respond are accountable because to do otherwise would be to deny the Scriptures. That's right. And as Christians, we can't be faithful to the Scriptures and then deny one of the key tenets of Scripture. So we don't want to make a decision just based on our, you know, how we feel or or some type of, of uh, again, uh, uh, postmodern uh, influence of, right. of what we think about about tolerance. But rather, we, because we're Christians, right? if we weren't Christians, that wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. But we are Christians, and the Bible then is our guidebook. Yeah, we live under The Bible authority. sets the standard mm. for our life and our teaching. And when we look at the Bible, we can't affirm a broadness in God's mercy that enables people to be anonymous Christians or enables people to come to faith uh, or, or, or to come to God without personal faith. To do that is to deny key portions of Scripture. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So I think it, with with kind of those twin ideas in mind here, right, um, we just kind of that understand that fundamental nature of sin and what it is and the, the warp and wolf of Scripture that has us bent so hard towards sharing the good news with with everyone, you put those two things in place in this the classic historic position of the church right. um, that you shared at the beginning. That idea, it, it rests on those. But if that's true, that has some pretty serious consequences. Absolutely. And I think that that's probably the third leg of this stool that when we talk about the, the state of those who've never heard that we need to take seriously, and that is the consequences of being wrong— on this issue are too high to get it wrong. Absolutely. So when we think about, um, we have two, two options, right? I can affirm what Scripture teaches, affirm historical, orthodox, Christian uh, thought about mission and that type of thing, or I can deny it. To deny it then means I can be passive. I don't have to think about those around the world who've never heard. I don't have mm-hmm. to think about my neighbor who perhaps hasn't heard. I don't have to, to pray uh, like there are those around me who need to be saved. I don't need to act as if those around me who need to be saved. And I can just live comfortably that way. Or I can embrace it, and I can then I'm uncomfortable. It may not lead me to always be super aggressive evangelistically, but I can't be comfortable right. with the state of the world. Right? I think about yeah. Pascal's wager. Right when yeah. when when Blaise Pascal kind of as this uh, this this wager of you know I could uh, I could believe in God or not believe in God but the at the end of my life if if I didn't if I did believe in God and I found out that it was a, not true I hadn't wasted my life I had lived my life in a way that was good and helpful to people but if I get to the end of my life and I chose to not believe in God, and I found out that it was true, I've lost everything at that point. Yep. Now, there's some probably philosophical, I'm not sure. a philosopher, there's sure. significant philosophical crisis with that, right? And some philosophers may be listening and making fun of us now. But I'm not going to build Pascal's wager for my right. eternal salvation. That might not be the right reason to accept the gospel as truth in your life. That's, at the same time, he ain't wrong. That's right. If you think about the idea of, of this discussion, mm-hmm. right? So if I spend my life um, intentionally, assertively, aggressively looking for ways to share the gospel with those who've never heard, to, to, to mentor people so they would go tell others about Jesus, to encourage my church to send missionaries, get to the end of life and realize, you know, if they hadn't heard, um, they, they could have been okay, but some did hear and they're okay. At the end of the day, I'm like, well, you know, okay, I did that. What have I lost? 
The flip side of that is if I'm passive and and standoffish and I don't seek to share the gospel, I don't pray for the lost, I don't encourage people to go overseas, I am more interested in my church you know, meeting my own self-centered needs than sending missionaries or supporting missionary work, you get to the end and realize, oh my goodness, those who never heard are now sentenced for all eternity into a Christless eternity in hell, and I was passive about it, then we've lost everything. Yeah, that's exactly right. The clear testimony of Scripture, I think, um, for those of us who are Christians, if we accept what Scripture says about human nature and where where we exist in our standing before God, Mm -hmm. and then we accept the clear teaching of the mission of the church and its responsibility to, to bear witness to this, if we accept those things, we should be absolutely unsettled right. by the reality that exists if we don't share the news with right. others. Like, we shouldn't feel okay about that. It should actually affect who we are in our affections and our heart to realize the gravity of this kind of situation in this moment. And so I think when we draw near into Scripture on this issue, uh, it allows us to, to develop uh, what I would consider some healthy bulwarks right. that— protect us from uh, perhaps some poorly formed arguments based in uh, sentimentality Mm -hmm. uh, and instead help us see the clear trajectory that Scripture has for the fate of the the lost, for the fate of those that have never heard, and then our central role in in doing something about making the good news known, uh, that there's a way out of that one. So people, thank you for listening with us today. We hope that this, it's a grave topic, but we hope that it's been helpful for you to hear just a bit of framing and reasoning around this issue, how it would help you think as, as a person who has to deal with others about engaging in this question, how to frame some conversation about it. Uh, most importantly, though, uh, we pray and we hope as uh, we do these kind of episodes that it, it actually encourages you to engage in the task that we've all been given, this every member ministry of making the gospel known to those who've not heard. Uh, So for this week, I pray that this is helpful for you. Uh, We hope that you'd be able to share it with others. You can always find us in the regular places wherever you get your podcasts, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. This is The Scent Life.